One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, he, it was reported to him the difference Christianity was making, and he, he echoed it. He said, you know, what they're saying about Christians is see how they love one another. And I, I echo that this morning, like just seeing how eagerly you pursue one another, not only here, but what I know beyond these meetings, the way you care for others. Thank you for doing that. That is a wonderful witness for Christ and, and the power of the gospel to unite us. If you would, open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Last week we finished a series. We had been in the book of Genesis for quite some time. We finished that series. Next week we're going to begin our Christmas series, looking at a humble Christ. Um, these, these three Sundays in December, and really looking forward to how God's going to use that for our church. And even those cards, like how good to have these cards and to be inviting folks uh, to hear good news. So thanks in advance for just anybody who might come. Uh, but this morning, wanted to look at Together at God's Word on a topic that I think is just very timely and pertinent for us, uh, a passage that addresses government and gospel mission. We're less than a year away from the next presidential election. I don't know if that's news for you, but I'm informing you today. It's coming up. Uh, Over the next year, there's going to be lots of campaigning, the narrowing of candidates, debates, and then finally elections, and then who knows how long of responses. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, is a great passage to consider. It's, it's God framing the discussion, God addressing us and freshly reminding us by His Word of His purposes in the world. This letter of First Timothy, it was written by the Apostle Paul. It was kind of a father figure to young Timothy when Timothy was in the church in Ephesus. And that church had some issues going on. It had false teachers and false teaching. And to combat these false teachers, uh, Paul points Timothy and points the church back to their mission as a church. What is it the church is supposed to be? What is the church supposed to be doing? And so 1 Timothy addresses that broadly, and specifically in these first seven verses, he addresses how the church's mission relates to government, relates to what's going on in society. And so, 1 Timothy 2, it's not everything the Bible has to say about government or politics, Uh, We could look, and we don't have time today, but we could look at many more verses and many more passages where the Bible does instruct and envision Christians for how they relate to government. So while it's not an exhaustive treatment, it is an instructive one. And it provides clarity on the goals that we should have and on the actions we should take as Christians. 
I don't know if you're like me in this, but election season presents some very unique temptations. There are some people who care really, really, really the outcome of the election. And there's some people that say, you know what, I just, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. And I just want to check out. Well, God's word gives us a better way. So if you have your Bible open, 1 Timothy 2, let's begin in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and, com- and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. So, Heavenly Father, in these moments we are grateful to be addressed by you and to have your word speak to things that you know we need. And I do pray it would have a a demonstrable effect on us. Lord, that the next year we would be shaped all the more by your word and by your truth and envision for your mission how we can be, how we can be a, a witness for you. Uh, We are so grateful, Lord, today to be gathered in your name. We're grateful Eddie can be with us today. Lord, thank you for healing his body. We just continue to lift up, Lord, others that are struggling physically or spiritually, Lord. We just pray, God, that you you would draw, you would heal, you would help. Lord, to know you as our helper is just such a wonderful thing. Lord, I pray you would prepare our hearts uh, over the next weeks for the celebration of Christmas. That as the world celebrates one version that looks a certain way, Lord, help us to celebrate what you have done in the sending of your Son. That that would freshly amaze us and lead to worship and gratitude and witness and godliness. Lord, help us to, in this moment, to celebrate the coming of Christ. Increase our anticipation for Christ coming again. Lord, we just lift up as well our sister church in Richmond, Kingsway Church, as they ordained three men today. Lord, we pray for Caleb Collins and Josh Kruger Jr. and Quentin Cools. Lord, these men that are going to be serving that church and Josh Jr. as he goes to plant a church in Africa, in Namibia. 
We pray, Lord, you'd bless the planting of that church and pray, Lord, that many would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then made into disciples through that church. Lord, we thank you for our own mission. Lord, we pray you'd help us to reach our lost neighbors and relatives and acquaintances and co-workers and fellow students, classmates. Lord, help us to be that aroma of the gospel that we heard about. Help us to be about your mission. And Lord, use this passage, use the truths in this passage to help us over the next year, Lord, to glorify you in the way we relate to all things political, all things government, and specifically stay focused on our greatest mission as a church. And so we commit this time to you. We thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In this short passage that we just read, the Apostle Paul addresses government and gospel mission. Let's begin by looking at government. Paul says in verse 1, he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So the opening call here in verse 1 is he's calling the church to pray. He says, I urge this. He's urging different kinds of prayer for different kinds of people. Supplications are like requests. Prayers is it's bringing others to mind when we are talking to God. Intercessions is we're going to God on someone's behalf. Thanksgivings are exactly what thanksgivings means. Giving thanks to God for someone else. So Paul is urging the church to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. Now let me ask this morning, how how often, when you hear that, how often are our prayers mostly focused on ourselves? What we have going on during the day. And I, I add myself to this. It's just so easy. Here's my concerns. Here's my focus. Here's what I've got to do. Lord, let me talk to you about all of that. And yet, this just really moves things outward. You know, in Paul's day, um, it was tough for Jews to want to pray for Gentiles. And so this morning, just say, are there any groups? Are there any people? Are there any, any types of people that we don't really feel like praying for? You know, Paul is urging people to pray for every political party. Every age group of people, every race of people, every class of people. And then he hones in on a specific type of people that the church should pray for. In verse 2, the church is to pray for government. Leaders. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, and then he hones in, for kings and all who are in high positions. The Bible doesn't tell us the preferred form of government. The Bible doesn't tell us how we should approach the voting process. 
it does tell us to pray for our leaders. Like that's, that's a command. And it has this word on the front end, first of all. And then there's this urge. He, he's talking about making prayer a priority. And we have to remember 1 Timothy, the setting in history, who was king at this time this letter was written? It was Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero was notoriously mistreating Christians. Paul would one day die at the command of the very man he is calling Timothy and the church to pray for. I mean, that doesn't frame the soberness of here, pray for this person, even though he knows he's, he didn't know at that point, but even though he's going to die at the hands of this man. So this isn't like just praying for Christian leaders or good leaders. He says pray for kings and all who are in high positions. And why? Why should we do this? Well, look at verse 2 again. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So he's, leaving, he's laying out the goal. Why pray for kings? Why pray for those in high position, leaders, governors? He says the goal of such prayers is a society where we can live godly lives and we can carry out gospel mission. That's why. A peaceful and quiet life. It's not always possible for people all around the globe. You know, war is a reality. Unjust society, it's a reality. And it makes life difficult. And so he says, well, this is what you're to pray for. To this end, pray for your leaders. And you just you begin to think about it, like what we enjoy here this morning, church, we're meeting like this, there's no police running in, breaking up our service, uh, we're able to have earned money, we're able to dictate where we want that money to go, we're able to have protected property, we're able to cast votes for our leaders. Most Christians in most of the world, over most of history, have not had that kind of privilege. It's an amazing privilege. And yet, Christians in Saudi Arabia, Christians in North Korea, and Christians in the United States are all called upon to pray for their leaders and to pray that they would be able to have a society where they can live out godly lives and carry out gospel mission. It's not just an American thing. I love how one author puts this. He says, pray for earthly peace, not so that you might be comfortable, but, so, but that you might be fruitful. That's why we want to see God work in our land and through our leaders and through our governor and through our mayor. Not so that we might be comfortable, but so that we might be fruitful. And then John Piper puts it this way. He says, I do not pray simply for the prosperity of any land. I pray for the magnificent spread of the saving purposes of God in every land and for whatever conditions it takes to achieve that. That's our mission. So Grace Covenant Church, this election season that is already well upon us, 
let us not just talk politics. Let us pray for our current leaders. Let us pray for future leaders. Let us pray for the conditions in society in Jacksonville and Seattle, in Florida and Vermont, in the United States and in Zambia, so that Christians can live godly lives and carry out gospel mission, which is the point. And then we're told in verse 3 about what God thinks of this. Look at verse 3 with me. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. What's the this that's good? Well, it's the whole of verses 1 and 2. It's good when we pray for everyone. It's good when we pray for leaders with a goal of living godly lives and, ex- and advancing His mission. You see, what God finds pleasing in His sight has very little to do with what's going on in the government and has much to do with what's going on among His people. When we complain, when we're angry, when we're despondent, when we're despairing, when we're prayerless, that does not adorn the gospel. We've gotten distracted from our primary mission if we find ourselves at that point. If we find ourselves at that point, we've got off our primary citizenship and we're making a bigger deal of our earthly citizenship. I mean, this frames church for us. What is a good outcome of the 2024 presidential election? A praying church. That's a good outcome. A godly and dignified in every way church. A church focused on its mission. That's a good outcome. Now, there are other lesser good outcomes, but that's the primary one according to this. This is what is good and pleasing in the sight of God. And so Paul begins by addressing government and addressing the church's response in such a way that government doesn't get the emphasis And it doesn't become the goal. It's not where God's kingdom comes to the governments of this world. God's kingdom comes as people believe in Jesus and are saved by Him. And so Paul seamlessly transitions from talking about government, praying for government, and the purpose of why to pray. He transitions from government to gospel mission. Look at verse 4. At the end of verse 3, he calls him God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here is the mission. Here is the focus. This is why we want a peaceful and a society and why we want to live godly lives, because God is a saving God. He desires all people without distinction, to be saved. I mean, I love how broad this is. And there, there's a lot of the word all in this passage. All people. Listen, God does not propagate or endorse the American dream. In fact, I would say following the American dream is probably one of the quickest ways or easiest ways to end up in hell. God tells us everyone needs to be saved 
and that he desires this. He wants this. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone deserves God's righteous wrath against them for their sin. Everyone's default is not to live according to the truth of God, but according to falsehood. And so he says, God desires all people to be saved. All people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he lays out this truth in verses 5 and 6. Look with me. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one God. There are not many gods. All religions don't just go to the same end. The Bible frequently talks about the problem of false gods and false worship and gods of one's own making. And it doesn't talk about that in a positive way. Why do people need to be saved? Well, because we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of the one God. There is one God. And then he says there is one mediator between God and men. And the the mention of a mediator, it just reiterates everything's not okay between us and God. Things are not right between anybody and God on their own. You know, most... People walk around with a sense, like, not with a sense of like, hey, I need a mediator. I need someone to fix my relationship with God. No, most people walk around with the thinking, well, if God exists, I think I'm doing good with Him. And yet this, they don't understand sin. They don't understand God's holiness. Everyone needs to be saved. And there is one way to be reconciled. There is one mediator. One person who can bridge the gap between us and a holy God. And that is Jesus Christ alone. You can't do this for yourself. No prophet can do this. No priest can do this. No And I would even add in the the Catholic faith. I mean, this is a big part of the priesthood in the Catholic faith. No, no, a a priest can't can't do it for you. I was watching a movie recently. Uh, It's the one about Mr. Rogers where Tom Hanks plays Mr. Rogers from the, the TV show. And late into the movie, there's this man who's laying there and he's dying. He's suffering and dying. And Mr. Rogers leans over and he asks him, Ask the man to pray for him. And so as he's talking to somebody else, he said, well, why did you ask that dying man to pray for you? And he said this in the movie. He said, I figure anyone who's going through what he's going through must be very close to God. Well, verse 5 tells us, no, it's not the dying person or the suffering person. That's close to God. It's not the super spiritual person. It's not the pastor. It's not the priest. There is one close to God. There is one mediator between God and men, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the God-man, fully God, fully man, able to represent both. And how? How does he mediate? How did he mediate? Look at verse 6. Who gave himself? 
as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He gave Himself as a ransom. Gave, it's very voluntary. The, The cross was not an accident. It wasn't the unfortunate end that, oh no, Jesus didn't see that coming. No, it was, He gave Himself. The good shepherd, he says in John 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it back up again. He gave himself. He gave himself as a ransom. A ransom. A ransom is paying the price to buy a person out of their slavery. How did, how did Jesus pay the price? He, he died. He died in the place of sinners. He died by substituting himself for the sins of those who would trust in him alone. And so in this passage, God's heart, it's very broad. He wants all people to be saved. He wants us as a church praying for all people. All people are welcome. But there's not many paths. Balancing all, the, the word all is the word one. There's still one God. There's still one way. It's not the truth. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, come to the knowledge of the truth. So in our gospel mission, we proclaim Jesus as the ransom. As the one who gave himself to save sinners. And he's the only way. There's no other way. A number of years ago, I was out in my yard doing yard work, and there was an elderly neighbor of mine who was walking his dog. He walked by, and we were talking. And he knows I'm a pastor, and he he asked, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, is Jesus really the only way? And I said, yes. Yes, he is. And he said, I thought so. And come to find out, he's a part of a church. He's been a a part of a church here in Jacksonville 40 plus years. He said, they stopped preaching Jesus as the only way. They stopped. It's so simple. A child can understand this. We, We can teach this in children's ministry. We can be raised in this. We can drift from this. Which is why, as a church, this is our mission. We're to proclaim this. This is what Timothy was to be doing in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. And it's our mission here today. And Paul says, in verse 7, he says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul says, this is what I'm doing. And he lays out three different roles. He says, I was appointed a preacher. A preacher. This is is the word for a herald. Or a town crier, if you will. You think of a king coming to a town and sending someone ahead of him to announce that he is coming. That's what this person is, a herald. A herald is under obligation to speak. That's why the king sent him. The herald can't change the message just because people aren't going to like the message. 
The herald is accountable to the king. The people are accountable for what the herald tells them. The king is going to hold them responsible. You see, this is what I do in preaching, but this is what we do in our gospel mission. We're proclaiming, we're heralds, we're ambassadors. This is why we are to pray for all people and pray for our leaders and live godly lives so that we can proclaim this news. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners and to offer that to people. You must respond. You must repent of your sins and trust in Jesus alone. And I would say, if you're here today and you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, we're, we're all ambassadors. I'm an ambassador to you this morning to bring you this message on behalf of the king. You must be saved. You must turn from your sins and trust in Jesus alone to be saved. There's no other way. But even at, with the welcome of that message, he's made the way. He welcomes you. He wants you. He desires for you to be saved. We desire for you to be saved. And as we, church, believe this message, this is the message we take to others. We proclaim that there is no one who is too good who doesn't need a mediator. And there's no one too bad who this mediator, Jesus, cannot save by his death on the cross for them. There's no one too good. There's no one too far gone that Jesus cannot save. And so Paul says, I was appointed a preacher of this. Then he says, I was appointed an apostle. And at that time, there was a lot of people posing as those commissioned by the risen Christ. He says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying on this one. And he says, I'm a teacher. He's, He's opening the scriptures and he's teaching them all that Jesus commanded, which is very much in keeping with the great commission given to all disciples of Jesus Christ. Teach them. Proclaim to them, tell them, herald, teach them. Open up God's Word. Understand what He says and tell it to others. So this is the government and gospel mission of 1 Timothy 2. But you can see the urgency in this passage. The focus of our efforts is on prayer and proclamation And living godly lives. You know, as we adhere to our mission as a church in 2024, let let us not get distracted by what develops or happens in in the political realm or around the world or in the news. This is our glorious mission. Proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The hope of the world. At a recent pastor's conference, uh, I went to uh, Kyle and Ed and Levi and I, we all went to a breakout session entitled The Pastor and Politics. It was taught by Jeff Perswell. Jeff Perswell is our uh, Director of Theology for Sovereign Grace Churches, which is our denomination. And so he did a, a great, I would commend that whole teaching to you. He did a great job laying out Across the Bible, what does the whole Bible teach about government and politics? And it actually has a lot to say that doesn't come under those headings. But he made a few remarks 
and I wanted to share them with you. I thought they were appropriate to share. Uh, Jeff Perswell said this. He said, at all times, the church must remember its identity and its Christ-given mission. The new covenant was given to gather God's elect to himself and to bind them together in the church through the work of Christ and not as a political program for the temporal governance of nations in the church age. We are not to expect God's kingdom to be expressed politically in this age prior to Christ's return. Then he went on, as a Christian citizen, a believer should use his gifts and opportunities to wisely, humbly, and courageously represent Christ in the public square for his glory and the common good. For example, pray for those in authority. That's 1 Timothy 2. Testify to God's righteous standards. Seek to be a godly influence. Appeal to a nation's, communities, individuals, God-given sense of morality and virtue and be an informed voter. Run for office. And I'd like to invite the worship team to return. I'll share one last quote from Jeff. He says, the Christian's real hope and true citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And he reserves his highest allegiance, his most diligent labors, and his greatest affection for Christ and his church. So yes, indeed. Church, may we remember our identity and our God-given mission. May we represent Christ in all of these various ways. As 1 Timothy 2 encourages us to pray. Pray for our leaders. And may we reserve, I love this last quote, may we reserve our highest allegiance, church, our most diligent efforts and our greatest affections in 2024 and beyond for Jesus Christ and for His church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, how your word speaks to the things we need. And again, I know this isn't everything your word has to say on this topic, but I thank you, Lord, for the emphasis it does bring and pray you would help us to receive that. Lord, we do. We lift up our current president and we pray, Lord, that you would empower him and strengthen him, Lord, to lead in ways that helps us and helps our society, Lord, that it would tend toward righteousness, that it would tend toward justice, that it would tend toward things that are a reflection of you. Lord, we pray for him. If he does not know you and have a saving relationship, if he does not know the one God and the one mediator, we pray you would save him. And Lord, lead his heart Lord, we're grateful in Proverbs. It says that the king's heart is like a river and the Lord directs it wherever he wishes. Lord, would you direct our president, Joe Biden? Would you direct our governor, Ron DeSantis? Would you direct our mayor and our senators and our representatives, Lord, all who are in the various levels of government, Lord, towards things that are righteous and good and moral and pure? 
And we pray our society would be one, Lord, of increasing freedom and justice. Lord, we pray for our hearts toward them. Uh, Lord, that it would be, we would be inclined towards gratitude and love and appreciation. Lord, that we would be inclined to, to show reverence to them and respect to them. Lord, we, we pray as well, just a, a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you for giving us so many good leaders and for the, the provisions that we have that have not been eroded. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would just continue your work in our nation. And Lord, we pray for ourselves and our gospel mission as a church. Lord, that we would be proclaiming Jesus Christ And we would be proclaiming the one God and the one mediator. Lord, we need your power to do that. We need your help to do that. We need your focus to do that here in the world. And we thank you, Lord, for your empowering work and your word to guide us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.